So the release, Nibbana, the, is uh, is expression. This is sublime. This is peaceful. The stilling of all sankara, the abandonment of all upadi. This is uh, the uh, release, Nibbana. Sankaras is because these words aren't so easy to translate, but I've been using activities to give the sense of these things are definitely dynamic, so they can be changed. Is it like intentions? As a sankara, it's something you can decide. You can you can shift that intention from aversion to goodwill, from holding on to letting go, from this, you know. So that's so it's dynamic. It's active. That's the leader, you could say. It's the most obvious sankara is intentionality, and we try to develop that, purify it, so clear, you know, goodwill and and uh, uh, lessening our kind of sensory appetites and restraint, relinquishment, and so forth. Mm. It's a gradual process continual ongoing process because uh, being sentient beings we're very much wired up you know engendered into a situation of grasping holding on to things it's absolutely normal except of course stuff doesn't stay that's the drawback (laughs) you know so you start to get that and then you think is it possible to to uh, just uh you know, to to feel that some of that need and security and comfort can be provided without this grasping of things, you know, by the sense of stability and inner contentment and resilience and goodwill. A lot of one's sensory appetites just start to abate because you're finding something better and easier, or not better and more comfortable. It's not easy to do that, but it's more eventually more comforting and uh, reliable so that whole work on intentionality and so when we do mindfulness practices mindfulness is an intention you establish a particular placing you know your mind onto an object hold it sustaining it carefully it has an intentionality to it intention is to to uh, hold steady to to not distract uh, to to uh, to give attention, you know, so that there's some sort of hmm, we're doing that. The other uh, sankharas that back that up are attention, which is the framing of an experience. That is, any given moment we can attend through our eyes, our ears, our nose, our thought faculties, we can give attention through any of these sense doors. Also, <clears throat> you can attend to something in detail. You can focus your eyes right down on a small point or on a big, wide screen. And your mind, of course, has huge potential for shifting attention. Sometimes that's all it seems to do. <laughs> Just this to that, to this to that, to this to that, running around the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just stabilizing attention is what mindfulness does. And the other quality, yonisol manasikara, or a penetrative, deep attention. You know, so you're, 
you're developing uh, both the stabilizing quality of attention, also the wisdom quality of it. The two work together. Yeah, because as one gets wiser, one begins to sense, hey, there's no point of t- attending to that. That's superficial, it's skidding, it's slippery, it doesn't take me anywhere good. Give that up, attend to this. And the more you do, you get more stable, and uh, you know that gives you the feeling you don't really want to keep the mind jumping around because it's finding something good to, to rest in. And we're seeing some of our stressing and agitation and going into dark areas or stuff like that begins to just, you know, steady up. And you can also develop a tension that penetrates as to why we have these um, restlessness, agitation, grudginess, resistances. Yeah, what's happening there? And by by calming and purifying the mind, it comes out of these uh, deficiencies. So mindfulness of the body is a great medicine for that, because you do that, then this sort of uh, resistance of attention or or things that we're kind of, a uh, uh, tendency to not, not want to be aware of things, not to be unaware of our minds. You know? So as you get, mind becomes more, comfortable then oh and even unpleasant things like the memories we have or the passions we have become something you can use penetrative attention saying you know this is finished you know don't need to keep doing this this is not doing anywhere useful and that whole process of cultivating attention And naturally, so that's a activity. Is it something frames up, yeah? And uh, you know, so intention and attention work together. You frame something up. You give it. You put your attention there. You soften your attention. You widen it. You attend to this. You attend to that. And gradually, you kind of through this, you clean out. You train. You calm, clarify the mind. The other kind of uh, sankara is contact, which means every experience that we have, every new one is kind of placed in our our, uh, perceptual field. What this means really is that the perceptual field means we over, from the time we're Infants onwards, you build up a whole directory of meanings. This is friendly, this is unfriendly. This will go take you somewhere good, this is bad. This is what people disapprove of, this is what people like. You know? In other words, we're building up this in-depth directory of basic meanings, information. This is polite, this is decent, this is impolite. You know, there's a mental directory or an emotional directory. <coughs> you know? So every time something new happens, that, that contact places that in that directory. So, oh, is that one of those? Yeah, it's one of those. Or no, it's not, it's one of those. You know, He smiled at me, that means it's okay. He didn't smile at me, that means it's not okay. You know, your contact keeps kind of placing the current impression 
into this directory of stored up impressions, what things mean. That's an activity. It's it's not something we have a lot of say over. It, It places something in your perceptual field. That's, so that's, that that happens too, you know. So we work with that, you know. And you're just starting on your own body, you know what we what we sense our bodies as being, and uh, so you know we often just see bodies from the outside. Okay, there's that. You just see the sensory, the visual impression of the body. But when you're coming into your own body, then you're feeling not just the, the you know, look, you know, the physical appearance, and you see there are sensations, in particular qualities, uh, like these are forms, subtle forms, pressures, heat. And you have feeling, pleasant, unpleasant. You have energy, which is a subtle kind of sensation, which is the sense of things alive or bright or dull or stagnant, you know expansive, still, steady. So there you have these. And, and you really want to uh, um, you know, develop the energy, focus on that. Because that's something that's quite available, uh, malleable. And as we develop <coughs> concentration or samadhi, that is through focusing on this more subtle body, the energy body, the kaya sankara, so that that becomes your fundamental experience of body as this energy body, which is breathing, bright, alive. It's not the physical sensations, it's this sense of a subtler. The Buddha says there's nothing more uh, uh, refined or subtle than this subtle body with subtle perceptions. Pleasant. So you're not just an old meat bag, you know. <laughs> and the Buddha had things to say about meat bags, but he, you know, which are not terribly flattering. But he also did highly recommend the the subtle body, and it's a way you kind of it's it's a tactic to keep pushing you away from the what they call the coarse aspect to the more subtle, which is actually a lot more. Uh, sustainable, beautiful, uh, and is entered through uh, skillful attention, through you know, through deep attention, through skillful attention, skillful intentions. It's calming, steadying. This means then that your your contact impression changes. You're referring things to that, referring experience to that. And this is one example. Yeah, we might, you know, we do a lot of this. You know, you look at food, and uh, I've been doing this for so long, it doesn't, not really a shift anymore, but I guess when you start, you know, you're used to having food on a white plate, porous china, plastic plate or something, and it's kind of all set apart, different places, different colours. And it's quite an issue around how that's placed, you know. You don't want your spaghetti lumped on top of your ice cream. (laughs) <laughs> that is not you don't go to a restaurant and they you know you want it 
there and you want the ice cream and another one because that's 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 how that's that's a good meal like that and you want it hot and uh and particular flavors that mit, mit, match each other so when you look at you know the way we eat the meal here it's just all kind of thrown in together that can be quite a shock for people some people never get over it <laughs> you know some late people find it very difficult to even present food like that they see that the food they've cooked you know spent so many hours presenting you know a nice strawberry gatto or whatever it is and then you put that in there and then it goes melts into the vegetable stew oh no because the contact impression is is jarring but here we we start to shift those contacts so this is food wonderful it's going to it's going to nourish body great you know it's going to keep me going it's given, act of generosity, wonderful. And that's the thing you, you kind of focus on. You develop that particular way of attending. So sometimes these practices are called uh, patikula, which means, kula means like a family or a lineage or that which is familiar. Pati means you, you're kind of you're re- reversing it. You're kind of twisting it around, thoroughly changing it. So it's uh, like, you know, you shift from one set of values and meanings to another. So you're shifting contact. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not physically touching or tasting, but you're shifting the perceptual field so that the contact doesn't go to, you know, it goes, the activity places it in a different set of references than you know, wonderfully prepared, nice, attractively set up, you know, into just basically food, fuel. That's the example of shifting contact. So we do this externally and internally. And you can see that obviously a lot of intentionality gets bound up around contact. You know, that is you contact things in terms of their attractiveness, their desirability, their sensual appearance, appearance, you get sensually motivated intentions. How can I make, you know, the food he look even prettier? And, you know, people will spend hundreds of pounds going to a restaurant not to fill up their tank with food, with energy. They're definitely not going to have their ice cream thrown on top of their spaghetti. It's going to be, you know, the whole do, candles, you know, music, whatever. So you're really buying not food, but a whole contact atmosphere. So your intention goes that way. And you can go, you know, a long way on that one. Roof over the head for the night. Here we kind of lie on the floor and uh, you can't really say, you know, it's time to go to floor. It doesn't sound as interesting as go to bed. <laughs> you don't particularly want to kind of, you know, spend hours lying there, have a lion on the floor. <laughs> lying in bed is much more interesting possibility. Lie there, read the papers, whatever. You don't want to lie on the floor any longer than you really need to. That's the idea. Certainly you get a chance to rest, you're sheltered from the cold and rain, but that's it. It's not a place for 
you know, kick back, laid out kind of uh, experience. So you shift in contact that way. And of course, in the world, people will spend again many, many, a lot of money on basically a room for the night. You know, in London Hotel, you know, £100 is, is cheap for a night, often much more than that. What are they getting? You know, nice, wall, nice walls, um, room service, you know, TV and so forth. They're not just getting a place to lay the body down for the night. So again, you know, you can go way, way up. Hilton's and so forth. I don't know how much that would cost. To have somebody carry your bag upstairs or something like that. So in really, in, the, in this training, you're really kind of shifting these contact references. And then the, the beauty of it is that it's not exciting, but it's calming because, you know, once one f- floor is pretty much the same as another floor, either it's dry and warm, it's okay. You know, let's say, let's have a night out in room two. <laughs> the floor in room three is much better than the floor in room four. It's, not, it's about the same, really. So nobody want to come here for a for a, a room, but then you know you see the the absence of all that fluster and pressure and going on and continuing and making more of it and fantasizing about the next one. You know, fantasize about a floor. Well, I've never fantasized about a floor anyway. So this is this, you know, training of, of this, this is quite, what happens then when we practice with contact like that is that the mind is somehow, there's a lessening of activities, a lessening of proliferation around something. It's just this, that's it, there it is, finished, you know. And, uh, you know, that's what renunciation's about. And there's a challenge there because in that when the mind is suddenly not so occupied, doesn't have a future, doesn't have something to build up to, doesn't have something to get on to, there's all this energy is running around loose. And we start to crave, fantasize, feel unsettled, get restless, feel irritable, you know, whatever. So then naturally that's got to be backed up with all kinds of meditative practices to calm, take up that energy. Hmm? But essentially, you know, you're working on intention, attention, and contact. And the three bind each other because some contact will give rise to skillful intentions, some will give rise to unskillful intentions. Intention will definitely set the triggering for what you're going to attend to. What you attend to will naturally be the things that will provide contact. So the whole thing is where karma is generated this ongoing so the stilling of this you know one big part of that is restraint renunciation simplification another part is calming soothing steadying another part of it is insight looking into with wisdom and saying well no that's 
That's that. That that changes all the time. There's no point being with that. That's shifting. That's not satisfying. Like that. And you build up uh, and contact. You build up another perceptual field, subtle perceptual field. Upadi uh, is um, this word, the abandonment of upadi. Upadi means something like the foundation, the accumulation, the residue, the substructure, the um, underpinning. What it refers to generally is like like upadana is clinging, taking a support. It's an activity of holding something, getting established on something. Upadi is the result. What you keep establishing yourself on becomes the support, the ground, the, the substructure. It could be used in a range of ways, but um, very often we, we, it's referred to as the five kanda, the five aggregates. This becomes our basic substructure. And with that comes a sense of self. So naturally, the abandonment is this a relinquishment of upadana, clinging to the aggregate, to these form, perceptions, feeling, so on. And you could, you know, get it down to almost one reference. There's always uh, something useful in simplifying. You can get oversimplified, but the useful thing is the, the basic substructure is I am. I am this as an agent, or this is happening to me as when I am an object. You know? So the abandonment of that. And, you know, whoa, what's that about? Well, you know, for a start, it's, it's progressive because a lot of the I am is to do with intentionality. That is, I do things my way. I do things that interest me, I don't do things that don't interest me. I do things that are going to give me a good feeling. I don't, you know. So as we develop our practice, we're looking at some of that, thinking, well, you know, this makes me quite demanding and narrow. And, um, you know, why don't I just develop an intentionality to be with, you know, what's happening, the whole thing, widening it. Letting go of some of that um, selfhood in in our intentions. Kindness, uh, patience. Patience is always, I want things, you know, when that I am is getting frustrated. Uh, Relinquishment, the I am wants something. Put it aside. Kindness, the I am resists, complains. My way of doing things, you know. So we're working on that. So all this is gradually uh, removing or reducing that uh, substructure. Doesn't mean there's no form, no feeling, no perception, but the colonized, habituated, karmically saturated territory 
is something we we are moving out of. Let's see. That's the way for release, anyway. Doesn't mean there's no seeing, touching, tasting, but instead of seeing always being referred to me, my preferences, seeing is just seeing. Mm-hmm. There's something is always, you know, happening, isn't it, that we don't like. But there it goes again. You know, and it goes on whether I like it or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> Can there just be that registering of, oh, that's a, that was not, you know, wasn't disappointing or not proper or whatever, or, you know, just that's what it is. It's like that. And of course, when we meditate, we're doing this uh, in a micro, microcosm, you know, focusing on the breath, your mind drifts off, then you can make a whole deal of I'm good, I'm no good out of that. Or you can just recognize, oh, that's not what it should be. Breathing out, what was that about? Okay, then where do you need to put it there? So we're doing that you know, quite clearly. And you see these whole karmic patterns come up, our karmic obsessions, resistances, our stuff. Here we, you know, there's a big I am me going on in there. And then you're just doing this simple practice acknowledge how that feels, you know, coming out of involvement with the story. Viveka, you know, non-involvement, oh, it's that. Then feeling in your body, using that as a, as a way of no longer getting so engaged, involved with it, calming, releasing, becoming more autonomous, dispassionate, letting that pass. So that's like, you, you know, drip, 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 you're continually, you know, just discharging that, those tendencies. And on a macrocosm, on a larger level, you we see how normal it is for we all people want their own territory, their own physical territory, their own psychological territory, they want to be who they are, they want to develop their own thing. You know, and that's strong. So, okay, you know, at least develop it so it's harmonious. And then, you know, we begin to sense that holding on, you know, is not when anybody else is bothered, but holding on makes us smaller. And more defended, more defensive, more needy. Can we just be open? Which is that itself, you know, it's a lot about equanimity and trust and a certain sense of, you know, on a macrocosmic level, it's only going to happen when people are prepared to be patient and peaceful and kind with each other. But there's a result there. Why are we prepared to give up some of my little meannesses, which I'm quite good at, because I feel that even though that's kind of nice, there's an even 
better, steadier, cooler sense that can arise when I'm less structured in me, more just in sangha, in humanity, in mindfulness, in parami, in patience, in attention, in kindness. So we just, you know, practicing like that. And again, it's just drip, 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 changing it, shifting it, recognizing, you know, this very natural tendency we have to build up my meanness, my hobbies, my pastimes, my friendships, my territory, my routines, my places I can go. I really like it. You know, what's it like to just, okay, widen up? Just notice things like, you know, people have a while, I, I can't sit in a group, I need to be on my own. Uh-huh, well there's seven billion people on this planet, mate. I mean, <laughs> you know, you've got seven billion problems. <laughs> you know, the room or the place or the, it can be, uh, you know, I like the kitchen to be run my way. Okay, mm-hmm. well... That means a certain amount of friction there, isn't it? Yeah. So this is all things that, that you know, even committed practitioners find they're coming to this edge on how to, you know, acknowledge that. Okay, well, here we, you know, there is this holding or defensiveness or heart rigidity or forming up. I have a practice at that place, seeing which is really going to be for my long-term welfare. And it's not just a collapse, not just a, a subjugation of self, but a, a movement to something larger. Mm-hmm. Why this practice of relinquishment and ceasing is not, you know, it's to be done through wisdom and virtue. Paramita, perfections. It's like seeing that one is getting actually a bigger result of equanimity, of lessening stress. Yeah, not just oh well, gotta conform. You know, it's not about conforming. It's about difference in conformity and harmony. Conformity is outside, external conformity. Harmony is more coming from the inner quality of you know, meeting those edges where we chafe and, you know, and what's there? And, you know, to find this possibility of release from from that. So on the macrocosmic level, it all gets to be very interesting. You know, what would I go if I went to some other monastery where they didn't have coffee? Well, I don't think I could handle that. 
or they, uh, you know, there's no solitary practice, or oh, I don't think we can manage that. You know, or I had a lot of, you know, ceremonies, I don't think I could handle that. You know, I'm not going to go there. You know. Look what, look what we're doing to ourselves, you know. I like small communities, you know. Okay, well, you're going to suffer. I like big communities, you're going to suffer. I like single-sex communities, you're going to suffer. I like dual-sex communities, you're going to suffer. <laughs> Whichever one you you play, make yours, you're going to suffer. <laughs> Can we meet those edges where we're challenged? And, oh, that's good. Rather than, no, this is making me unstable. Oh, it's good. You know, there's something I have to, you know, accommodate here. That's our that's our practice. You know, sometimes being on one's own is indeed a challenge. Can we do that? Get through a day without reading or talking. So it's all, you know, work, practice, isn't it? But the abandonment, this is what we're aiming for, and hopefully, you know, in a graduated and steady and calm way, how we can not, you know, move, shift, find our mind widening, softening beyond its normal foundations. And it's beautiful to to be part of this process. As indeed all of us who gathered here have accomplished this to some degree. We've been able to live with sense restraint. We've been able to live with renunciation. We've been able to live with a motley group of other people. We've been able to move around. You know, it's commendable. People can shift their lodgings and this to that, you know, out in the forest, in the house. You know, it's, it's commendable. But to also take stock of that, recognize what that's about and what one is accomplishing through that, the feeling of greater freedom, greater release. Uh, and then taking stock of that, the spirit of that, the beauty of that, the growth of that. Because this abandonment is not the abandonment of anything that's fundamentally solid, real, substantial, satisfying. The abandonment of something that's a very shaky and vulnerable foundation indeed, as we can see in the world. 